Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. It's a cheerful, beautiful day here, Saturday, April 18th. Is that what it is? Correct. I didn't even really know it was Saturday. That's where we are here in the quarantine. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined, you heard his dulcet tones already, a little sneak preview by Tracy (laughs) Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm okay, Dave. How are you? I'm doing great. Couldn't complain if I how tried. Are you, how are you doing lockdown-wise? Oh. Um, groceries, toilet paper, everything's good? All that's fine. All that's fine. Got groceries. Made a chicken dish last night. A little chicken broccoli potato bake thing. That was pretty good. Uh, I know? love those kind of mishmash. Yeah, yeah, just do a little thing. Throw it in a little pan. Throw it in the oven for 40 minutes. See what happens, you know? So that's what I did, um, but no, things are good. How 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 are you doing in the uh, in the beautiful Westlake Village? Uh, you know, it was it was pretty for like two days, three days, and I I definitely realized that when it's sunnier out and nice and pretty, it really makes a difference when you're when you're locked down. It just changes your whole outlook rather than it being gray and rainy, which it is a little bit today. Um, but I understand if it is sunny, it kind of compels people to go out, which might also be the other side of the coin. Yeah. Uh, my son, we've been getting uh, our groceries delivered. Mm-hmm. My son, though, we've been doing it now the whole time. He wants to go to a grocery store, and he has – for Halloween, he has this plastic head-to-toe dinosaur suit. So he wants to go in the dinosaur suit for the memes. Absolutely. And I told him I want him to set up his camera, his phone camera, like on an aisle, and just hit video and just walk through the frame with his shopping cart in this dinosaur with a mask on the dinosaur outfit you know what i love is that generation after generation no matter the situation no matter the national emergency like 22 year old guys are the exact same kind of dumb just down the down the entire path like hundreds of years it's beautiful that is so funny because we literally just had this conversation in our house because you know, when you got two grown adult kids now living with their parents, there is some dynamic you got to work through, right? Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. sure, sure, sure. we're all kind of on top of each other. We've all realized, you know, let's go to our respective corners of the house for a good portion of the day so we don't literally kill each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it did scare me, though, when my son's kind of a, an aspiring chef. He likes to cook. And it did kind of scare me when in when Amazon delivered like this really huge knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because kind of, you know, because in your I, mind's I eye, that, your kids are still four, and you're like, I don't want them to have the knife. Well, I thought he was. I thought there was something else going on, but right. But anyway, we were discussing. They were literally. I, I, I don't know. My son had made some food, and he didn't put some of it away, or or my wife was. I wouldn't say lecturing, but she was talking to my kids about like my daughter loves uh, the white cheddar cheeses, you know, those things. And she could power through a whole box and my son could power through anything. And my wife was trying to make the point that you don't do that. Human beings don't do that. And of course, I was staying out of it until they said, Dad, when you were your son's age, Crawford's age at 21, you come on, you powered through. You can't tell me you didn't eat a whole package one whole package of oreos in your lifetime and i have to admit i did eat a whole package of oreos at one time when i was in my 20s of course so that's breakfast lunch and dinner (laughs) for the next three days so you're you're actually absolutely right things do not change no (laughs) a 22 year old guy today thinks just like when you were 21 and just like when i was 21 yeah like well, and no, like, and even without a national emergency, like if somebody asked me, do you want to dress up in a dinosaur suit to go buy beer at the store? Yeah, yeah, I do. Of that course. seems like it'll be funny. Of course. Yeah. I mean, he's got to think about dressing up in, in, uh, so during high school, he got his wisdom teeth out. 
I mean, you know, it was an average average deal where, you know, he had I think he had them all out. His girlfriend was playing in a lacrosse uh, match, pretty important one. Um, like, I don't know, a couple of days later, it was Halloween too. And he was determined to go. We told him he couldn't, but you know, he was determined and we said, okay, he got dressed in a, in a full length Panda outfit <laughs> and he's in the stadium and all of his other guys are dressed in stuff, but he, he's so out of it. He can't even move. And we've got these pictures of the whole stadium empty with him just sitting there in a panda. Outfit. <laughs> <laughs> it's still one of the best photos ever. Um, yeah. 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 He's got something about full length. Uh, yeah. Outfit things. And this, this dinosaur outfit's a serious thing. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's plastic. It, it's yeah. like, it's kind of like a, you know, a Halloween version of a hazmat suit, really. That's great. Maybe then that'll be maybe perfect. A little better. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Anything you need at the store you can pick up for you? I'm good. I'm all set. I'm all set. So, uh, isn't it kind of funny that people just, if they are down a jar of pickles or they don't have the right strawberries that they just feel that they're really, really sick that they can't do without that. I yeah, just... people are maniacs. I um I uh I've kept myself pretty stringently to just once a week. Like I once a week go to the store yeah. and then I come back. That's it. Yeah. We've been doing the delivery once a week. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's people are nuts. People are crazy. Yeah. Um, UCLA. Yeah, sports. UCLA. It's really exciting. Yeah, some so many fun things, things going happen on this week. Yeah, oh, there, there was some good stuff in basketball. They signed two significant recruits this week. That's true. Mick Mick Cronin's interview. If you listen to that, I thought was a great interview. Yeah. Um, it was cut short though. <laughs> it was cut short because the conference call thing that UCLA was using that most people use. I think it was only like for half an hour, so it literally cut us out. And you know, Mick can talk, so he's a talker. He's I, a talker. The, the one thing that was stunning this year was just all those Tuesday um, practice interviews. How many of them were like over fourteen minutes? Yeah, yeah, but it's also good stuff. It's not like just rambling no, nonsense. Honestly, it's, it's Alford fun. Alford would talk a little bit too. But when Alford talked, it was just like pure emptiness. Like it was just you were staring into the void. Um, and this, no, it's it's basically every answer is substantive in some way. Substantive? What do you want to go with Subs there? I say substantive. I think you have, we've been down this road. You say subs, what do you say? I said substantive, but I don't think that's right. You grew up in a weird pronunciation household i gotta tell you there was yeah. some weird well my mom she had like a weird um like fake new york accent because she grew up in new york um but then it like kind of turned into like a mid-atlantic accent you know that that fake thing that like fdr had um, yeah so it was it was a weird thing with weird sayings and i think i just kind of took some of it and then i'll I pass it on to my children you pass things on yeah. Yeah. My dad was Swedish, so he had some, you know, spoke perfect English, obviously, but then he'd do some, there'd be some strange things that would come out of his mouth. And I, I grew up saying them too. Yeah. 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 Um, but that interview, I mean, was, was everything about it was pretty, was really interesting. Uh, coach Cronin's opinion on the season, uh, his, uh, you know, recruiting Johnny Juicing, and he, you know, was three miles away from his house, and their FaceTiming was was pretty funny and pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, it made me really think, though, there was a question in there about, you know, that he might have too many wings this coming season, and his answer was a great one. I mean, that you, you know, he recruits, basically what he was saying, he recruits to quality, not necessarily position first. Of course, you 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 know <laughs> you pay attention to positions but i think what he was trying to say is 
while they were loaded at wing, Johnny Juzang was just too good and filled the role other than just the position role that he really needed on this team. And he, and he prioritized it because of that. So it made me thinking about, and I wrote a story and it's ready to go close anyway. And, uh, what the playing time would look like next year. I'm, I'm saying this year, 2020, 2021, if it actually gets played, let's say if, what do you think, Dave? Chris Smith comes back first. Uh, you've got your four intact guys, I think, starting. That's Tiger Campbell, uh, Jaime, uh, Chris Smith, and I, I think Jalen Hill hangs on, obviously, to, those, to that starting post uh, spot. So you've got four starters. I don't, I don't think they'll be shaken off of that. So now you got one more starter, which was held down by David Singleton for the second half of the season. What? How do you think this? What would need to happen? I mean, obviously, open competition for for a starting spot. But who do you think are the candidates, and what do you think would would happen there? Well, I think the the reality is, I mean, even if there aren't promises made. Um, when you're recruiting the number one point guard in the country, there is a political angle to the fact that that dude's going to have to play. Um, just from like a recruiting angle, that dude's going to have to play a lot because you've got to show that you're willing to play those guys when you get them. So I think Dacian Nix is going to seize that other job um, if he's at all playable. Um, you know, sometimes weird things happen. You know, a guy will come in with a lot of hype and then it's like, oh, wow, he's not ready. Um, he did play in like somewhat of a lower level AAU league, right? With a lower level AAU team, or at least not one of the hyped ones. So right, he did, but he also played yeah. in a number of camps and stuff where he the played odds with- of him not being good are very, very slim. So I think he's going to have a starting job. The question is how you're going to balance the minutes for everyone else. Um, right. Like, looking at those wing spots, can you see any of them playing? Like, Hawkes, I think, over the balance of the season was averaging, like, 36 minutes a game. I don't think that can happen next year because they're just going to have to give more minutes to other guys. He averaged averaged about 30 for the season, but in conference, I think he was at about 36. Yeah, it was insane. Um, And there was a reason for that. I mean, he was, like, the the pure glue guy who was just making everything kind of happen defensively and offensively. But... Um, they're just not going to be able to do that because if they do, they're going to end up with, you know, only a seven or eight man rotation again. And just with the number of bodies, that's not going to keep this roster happy. I mean, what do you do with a Jules Bernard who seemed to be buying in by the end of the year? So if he doesn't start next year, you've still got to give him, you know, you still got to find a way to get him 15 to 20 minutes a game. Um, right. David Singleton was a starter. You've got to find a way to give him 15 minutes a game. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tricky thing. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, coach Cronin said in the interview that, you know, every coach wants to have this luxury of where he might be able to have enough bodies to press, uh, to keep rotating people in to play at a higher intensity defense. Um, and, uh, you don't want – you really don't want anyone to be playing 35 minutes a game. I, Tiger Campbell led the team, uh, um, yeah. and I, he must have been at about 38 himself in the conference. And I don't think – he was a stud. I, there were too many times where you looked at him and said, oh, he's affected because he's fatigued. But ideally, you'd rather have him play 30 minutes of top-end quality play rather than extend those minutes because not only is he probably not playing at the same efficiency level, you know, you're, you're risking injury. Same yeah. with Jaime Yakis. So, sure. so I think the one I agree with you and the story that I'm writing that I've already kind of written is I see Dacian Nicks winning that other starting spot. Um, Cronin said, what you also really want are as many guys as possible that can create for you. And this guy literally is probably one of the best creators in the 2020 class nationally. 
um, because he he is a true point guard, even at six five and two hundred and ten pounds, and and really he's kind of thick. Uh, yeah. You saw him, you saw him in Georgia, um, but he can really pass the ball. He can he can put the ball on the floor. He can go off the dribble and create for himself, create for others. He's not an incredible outside shooter. Uh, he has a good stroke. I, I couldn't find his stats for his senior year of shooting uh, three pointers, but you know. Not horrible, but not you know not a not a dead eye outside shooter. Um, but you need if you go by Cronin's theory, he he plays. The only thing that could hold him back would be his defense. Whether he'll be able to step in and give you the same defensive level that let's say Singleton or Bernard were giving you toward the second half of the season. Uh, but here's the thing. Dacian Nix will also pick up, let's say Tiger Campbell's playing 30 minutes. That's 10 more minutes of a point guard you need uh, of a backup. Dacian Nix will pick up those minutes. So let's say Dacian Nix is averaging 25 to 28. He'll get 10 of those by playing point guard. Yeah. Um, so that's where Jules Bernard, Singleton, uh, other wings too, you know. The way he played his wings was, was interesting. Uh, Chris Smith was like that that power forward face up wing. But there were times when, you know, he had a smaller lineup in, you know, just for matchup reasons. Um, but I could, I think when it comes down to it, if you're in even an eight, uh, let's say a nine to 10 man rotation, I think there's still room for Jules Bernard and Chris Singleton to maybe get, 30 minutes between the two of them, maybe. So maybe it's 18 and 12 or 16 what? and so 14. How are, you getting, and are you getting Jake Kyman on the floor then, ever? I think Jake Kyman picks up some of the, uh, let's say, Chris Smith. Chris Smith averaged about 28 minutes a game last year. That's probably what he'll average again. I, I think that's where he tops out on his ability to stay you know, rested and play at an optimum level. So I think Kaiman picks up some of those, uh, that those twelve, and then you've got the uh, you've got the backup minutes at the at the three two with Yaquez. Uh, Kaiman averaged in conference fifteen minutes a game. I think that's about where he is. Um, I, I think that's the role he'll play fifteen to sixteen seventeen minutes a game. Don't you think? I mean, I, I can't really see him playing more extended minutes than that because while his defense improved during the course of the year and obviously he provides you a great offensive weapon from the outside I I think you can't keep him on the floor longer than that just because of who he matches up with defensively yeah I agree I think it's going to be it'll be interesting I mean I think there's a plan you go in with and then obviously there'll be you know There'll be game by game guys will get in foul trouble, all that kind of stuff. It yeah. is it's gonna be hard to balance on a regular basis. Um, because you're going to have guys you wanna play thirty plus minutes in a particular game. Um and I think that the 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 question isn't okay, we wanna give David Singleton these twelve minutes a game, we wanna give Bernard these fifteen minutes a game, we wanna give Jake Kyman these fourteen minutes a game. It's who gets the short shrift when it is a tight game or it is a, you know, kind of a knuckle down game. Um, and that's going to be the interesting part for me because those are then the candidates for, you know, this team was so good chemistry wise that I'm a little bit concerned about upsetting that. I know it's a minor key concern. This is a lot of talent at the wing spots and I think it's a good problem to have, but it is going to be a different kind of test this year um, to see how you manage because David Singleton ended up being one of the leaders of the team. Is he going to be one of the most, one of the five most talented guys on this team next year? Almost certainly not. Um, so how do you balance the role he had on the team from like a leadership standpoint with the fact that he's probably not gonna get more than 15 minutes a game? I, I look at it this way too. Um, I think there's going to be a, the main battle and it only intensified battle if Johnny Juzang is actually eligible, and we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. But I think I think a main battle here is going to be between Chris Singleton and Jules Bernard for minutes. Um, and 
Bernard has more upside. He's got he's at least a couple inches taller. He's longer. He's more athletic. He was a very good defender towards the end of the season, and he's only going to get better. And Cronin said he's that guy who says, "Coach, I want to I want to defend right. their best offensive player." Um, while on the other hand, David Singleton um, is limited in a few different ways. He's limited athletically, which is really interesting because, I mean, in high school, not that dunking the ball means anything, but it does, you know, it is kind of a measure of athleticism. I mean, I don't know if he, if he could dunk the ball this last season. It might be related to his foot or that he did get a little bit thicker. His lateral quickness was just okay. Um, he doesn't have near the length length that Bernard had. He was on the court because he provided a lot of stability. I mean, I think he had 14 turnovers for the season. <laughs> That's insane. Only if you're like, a, and he was the secondary ball handler, 14 turnovers is amazing. And for his three point shooting, which wasn't fantastic. You know, I think he averaged 37% in conference, which isn't bad, but if he's going to want to, I, 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 you know, I look, I got it here somewhere, but I think he only shot something like 15 to 18 shots on the whole season that weren't three point attempts. So he's limited in a lot of different ways. A lot of that is going to depend on the improvement of Jules Bernard over the off season, whether he can just improve his game, cut down those drives to nowhere and some bad decisions. You know, it's interesting too. Remember, he started out his freshman year really out of control, bull in a china shop, then got better toward the end, then started out last year in, the, in a similar manner. <laughs> if he could start out a season how he ended both seasons, and Jules didn't shoot great from three-point, both he and Singleton shot better in their freshman year from three-point range than they did last year, and a lot of that might have been they just weren't comfortable with Cronin yet with that quick hook. Possibly they were playing tight, but if all this comes together, that's going to be a great battle right there. I, I think a lot of the upside is whether Jules Bernard can get his game under control and make less mistakes because his upside that he offers is, is, is really, really kind of exciting and promising. Yeah, it is. Um, and I, I think so. We haven't even talked about Juzang, um, which, if he's eligible, he provides another shooter who's probably better than Bernard and Singleton. I, I know Singleton's percentage over his career is still, I think, over 40%, but not a volume guy. Um, Juzang might provide a little bit more volume as a shooter. Um, if he's eligible, <laughs> this math gets crazy with how you yeah. would even get... Because the thing is, you also don't want a rotation of just a bunch of guys getting even minutes. Um, that doesn't allow guys to get in a rhythm. It doesn't give you a hierarchy. And the reality is not many teams are going full court press 10-guy rotations. It's just not a thing that modern basketball really pushes. Like, you just don't have that too often. Um, so maybe that happens. I have my doubts. The reality is most teams that are successful end up with like an eight-man rotation. Um, would Juzang be in that eight guys? I think based on you know how he looked at the end of the year, the quality of prospect he was, the fact that he can shoot, I think he might. And then that's going to push another guy out of it. I, I slightly disagree. I think you can do nine and possibly ten if you're playing – if you're playing a, a, a defensive style that does press and does pressure the ball and you expend a lot of energy on the defensive side, I think that can happen. Um, with with Juzang, though, I, I think he flat out is one of the probably the most talented players on the team uh, as soon as if he's eligible. I think it would be hard to keep him from playing. Uh, he offers – he is that outside shooter, and I think that's just too difficult to keep off 
the floor. It does present Cronin with a, a lot of options and, and so much like I think you kind of touched on it. The more guys you have with more versatility in those guys, the more you can match up with other teams and the more you can dictate to other teams. I mean, if you have, you know, Dacian Nix at point guard with Jules Bernard and Jaime and Chris Smith, I mean, that's all six, five plus in your backcourt. There aren't too many teams that can, that can match up with that def- defensively. And if the other team needs to keep their point guard, their five eleven six foot point guard in the game for offensive reasons, who is he going to guard? So with all of this versatility, you can dictate matchups and and be able to throw different combinations of people out on the court that can match up with whatever other teams can can give you. Um, so yeah, it's it's exciting to really think about. Um, and we're forgetting one other guy, and that's Jalen Clark. <laughs> yeah. I no, mean, exactly. Jaylen and Clark, that guy could come in and immediately look like the best defensive player on the team for some exactly. you know, weird exactly. reason. And then he's playing yep. 20 minutes a game because he has to. Yep. Or at least 15 because he can come in and he's the lockdown defender. Yeah, and I think um, I've got to get myself out of the Howland and actually Steve Alford um, mode, which was – they often had guys playing way too many minutes. Like, often. Yeah. I mean, Howland, yep. Howland was prone to cutting it down to, like, a seven-man rotation at different points. Um, and you would just have guys playing 35 minutes a game. Um, so I think i got to get out of that. Because I'm looking now at, um, historically, what Cronin-Cincinnati teams. And it was a rare occurrence where guys were, where even the top guy would be averaging more than 32 minutes a game. Rare. Yeah, see, that's, re- that's really encouraging to me. Yeah, that's what I I'm looking for. And I know I'm probably just, you know, chasing windmills here. Um, I want that 10 man rotation. I want waves to come in and just overwhelm that other team, not only pressing, but just being able to really show a huge amount of energy on defense and pressuring the ball and overplaying and just expending so much energy. And then you come out and fresh guy goes in. I mean, I really like to see that. And I think Cronin, if Cronin showed anything this – well, he showed a lot of things. I shouldn't say it that way. But among many of the things he showed was a real adaptability in coaching. He really changed a lot of the things he did early in the year and then switched it up later uh, depending on who was developing, depending on who was showing that they could play. Um, we're, we weren't used to that. I really respected Ben Hallen as a coach, but Ben had his set ways he coached by rote. He had it. It was a successful theory. He employed it and he plugged guys in and there was a little bit of a variation here and there. Steve Alford was very much that too. He, he had, I mean, he almost never wavered from his substitution pattern. If you remember oh, for yeah. like at least the first half. Cronin doesn't seem like that at all. He seems that he would be, he's very would be very nimble in being able to employ different kinds of tactics based on his personnel. So I, I think that's that's kind of exciting. And when he says things like, you know, we want to press, we'd like to use a lot of bodies. I kind of I I'm I don't think that's just coach speak. I think I'm kind of buying into that. Yeah, I think that that. It could happen. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think a big part of that will then be um, how those four minutes work and how the five minutes work. Because I think to make it work with all these wing bodies, you're going to have to make it so that the exclusive minutes for Riley and Hill are more or less at the five. Like, I don't think you can give either one of them a ton of minutes at the four because then you're just... I think you're probably taking some of your better defenders off the court if you're trying to – you make it a worse defensive team, I think, if you put them both on the court too often. Um, and, yeah, it'll be weird to have Jaime Jaquez playing some four. Um, he's, you know, not quite the same size as, as Chris Smith, but I don't know. I'm interested to see that. He was playing some pretty decent post-defense at different points this year, albeit largely against small forwards, but – he can block some shots. He's got good IQ. Uh, 
Um, so uh, yeah, I, and I agree. I, I I mean, as we've been talking about, it, you're seeing less and less two post teams in college basketball. Uh, Jalen Hill and Cody Riley combined for 42 minutes <laughs> yeah. a game last year. So, uh, and that was that was also remember where they started the season. Uh, they began the season as both starters. So figuring all that, they did not – there weren't – in the second half of the season, there weren't many times when they were on the court at the same time. And it was mostly for matchup purposes um, because there just aren't that many, you know, back-to-the-basket, 250-pound power forwards anymore. They, they just don't exist. And Jaime – matched up with power forwards sometimes you know with, with that switching defense and did fine because there aren't those guys power forwards are now 220 pounds yeah <laughs> so and face up guys so i and that was his freshman year remember how bad everyone is defensively as freshmen remember lorenzo mata as a freshman defensively everyone gets a lot better as defensive players in their sophomore year. So I have no problem that I don't see Hill and Riley going much beyond those, those 40 minutes at the post. Yeah. Yeah. So really interesting. I think it could go, I mean, they have 12 scholarships right now. Kenneth Nuba might be the guy who just gets spot minutes in non-conference cupcake games and maybe here or there when there's, uh, foul trouble at the post and just get him some time to make him able to be to play in the 2021 season. Um, so that's one. And, you know, there might be a wing. This is if Johnny Juzang is eligible. You know, uh, not that the door isn't open to be surprised by Jalen Clark, but he might be the guy that needs a little bit more development before he's getting 15 to 18 minutes just yet. But I could see I could see a rotation of nine to ten guys. Yeah, and and seeing Cronin manage it fine. Yeah, so it's, it's just it's going to be interesting if if they can do the pressing thing where they're just doing line changes. That'll be really cool to watch. Um, it's just you know by the end of last year they did have a pretty tight eight guy rotation. Like it was they yeah, dropped Prince Ali. Um, there we go. Yeah. yeah, but and they Alex dropped Prince Ali and Sharif was off the team and Alex Olsinski was, you know, not playing. So it was eight guys. But I, part of that, it wasn't just that they, like, they'd they made a decision not to do that. Um, they'd made a decision to tighten up. Um, so it, it's just because he did coach a different way at the end of the year. And that was with much, many, many fewer of those like, oh, you're not doing something I like. I'm not going to pull, I'm going to pull you stuff. Like he wasn't doing that as much at the end of the year. Um, no, he just guys. kept him permanently. He just kept him mostly off. The, right, right. The guys but he, even when, <laughs> even when like a Chris Smith or or whoever would make a mistake, he wasn't pulling them at that point in the year because he'd found the guys he trusted. Um, and but so, what if he trusts? What if he trusts more? Well, if he trusts, year? if he trusts ten guys, then we're going to see what that looks like. This is still early yeah. for us. I mean, we haven't seen him. Like we we all had a really good feel for like Ben's idiosyncrasies by like season three. Um, yeah, and we're going to learn these with Cronin. Maybe he's always kind of, you know, kind of crazy at the beginning of the year. And is just, you know, fully, uh, you know, pulling guys after like one mistake and then it tightens <laughs> up at the end of the year. We don't know. Um, so it'll yeah. be interesting to see if that's like a rhythm thing or if that was just a first year thing. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, a. Uh, I mean, as he was talking about it, this is a, this is a really fun problem to have. Um, yeah. and I think. What he what he settled on, I think, is the right thing too. It's it's probably going to be a pretty good offensive team when you're playing small like that. When you're playing with you know maybe Smith and Hawkes as your as your primary four men, you're going to be able to do some things matchup wise to other teams that they're just not going to be able to defend. Um, right. And with two point yep. guards on the floor for a lot of the time, it's going to be it could be a lot of fun, especially if you can find a way to get Juzang eligible and he can shoot it. You get Kaiman on the floor a little bit, and he can shoot it. Um, and then you've got, if Chris Smith comes back, um, him creating at the four. It's going to be really, really interesting and fun to watch. Well, what it demands, if you have a, 
just not the point guard who can create, but you have a couple of wings who can really create. Uh, Chris Smith can, you know, was a creator toward the end. Just tighten up that uh, handle, buddy. Tighten up that handle. Yeah. Um, Jaime was, if you have another, you're just, there aren't too many teams that have great on-ball perimeter defenders to match up literally with three guys who can create. So that's that's really exciting. Here, here's another thing that might be working in UCLA's favor if this season ever gets played. Um, the NCAA is voting on that uh, waiver. Well, it's a new rule is what it would be. Uh, in late May, uh, on whether football and basketball players can tr- that are in good academic standing can transfer once without having to sit out during their college career. Um, if that if they do vote that through, and it's been really interesting. Initially, I heard it was going to happen. Then when the pandemic hit, I heard it wasn't. They were going to put it on hold. Too many other things. But now, given the situation of the pandemic, they're they're thinking. The feeling out there is that it will pass. Um, so, but there is going to be like, as Coach Cronin said, there has to be a window, a limitation window put on it. You couldn't have teams practicing in August and September, you know, during the se- leading up to the season, and then a couple of guys transfer. Right. So, I think with so much unknown about, uh, I think with. Singleton having started, Bernard probably feeling he'd have a chance to start. Whether Juzang is uh, what impact he could make. He hasn't played at UCLA. They don't know the impact he could make. Jalen Clark's a freshman. I think there's enough guy. There's enough there that this team might stay intact, even despite that transfer, even if it's passed in May. Um, and especially if the window is just literally to july let's say and it's not in august or september um and if that's so this roster is intact smith is stays and juzang is eligible it's pretty exciting to think about what that team could be yeah it is exciting and so hopefully we can actually get a season out of it um which leads us yeah if you want Unless that was a good segue right there, because one thing we did want to talk about is can can college athletics really afford, and in every sense of that word, to not have a college football season? No. So they will try to have a college football season any way they possibly can. They will. I I think – what it will require is so they will try to do it and maybe you're maybe they're successful maybe they're not and if they're not there's gonna have to be some really stupid bailout of like college athletics from either the state levels or whatever because these departments really cannot survive without even a single football season a lot of them are basically paycheck to paycheck in a sense um where it's just they would have to they'd have to cut they'd have to cut sports. so many other sports they'd have yeah. to cut sports um they'd have to but to do that they would also have to get like title nine relaxations like they would have to get a bunch of stuff to even be able to do that um so i it's a really untenable spot for a lot of these organizations um and the reality is, unlike pro leagues, they're not going to be able to have the leverage with players um, that those leagues do. You know, players are under contract. Right. They, they're they getting a salary. Like, at a certain level, if... Go they, risk your life. You're yeah, no, it, and it's, you know, it's probably not that dire in a sense, but it also kind of is. But it's also, you know, if, if guys are playing for free and if they're just students who are basically on scholarship, you don't have that leverage over them and the optics would be terrible. Um, so, so then, so then two scenarios, I I think if, if somehow the country, uh, state by state works out that this fall students can go back to college, but with some kind of mitigation where classes are staggered, there's still the six foot rule. They'll have, they'll have football. They'll have football. It just will be, they'll have, they'll have football, but they won't, would they have, Fans. In the no, there'd be no fans. 
If they allow kids back on campus with basically no large group gatherings, so basically you can go to your sections, but lectures are going to be online or something like that. I think they would manage to do, um, they would manage football um, and it would just be, you couldn't have um, fans in the stands. Right. Which would be bizarre and might change the way the game is viewed. Like it's a different deal if it's in an empty stadium. Let me tell you, after watching yeah. many UCLA spring games, it's a different deal <laughs> in an empty stadium. It's pretty much like the the article I wrote last week. Uh, you would see the games would be limited to the players, coaches. I could even see them cor- continue to quarantine the players. Like the players are do not go to class. They are the ones who do no, almost the, all. So that's the thing academic. is they can't do that. They wouldn't be able to do that kind of exception stuff with this. In regular well, times, you can have exceptions for athletes, but in in these kinds of times, you would not want to be perceived as giving them special treatment. Okay, um, maybe a little bit more limited. They can still do some of the things. They can go to lectures. They can do that, but they're still trying to keep them because w- what they're saying is th- the players might get more exposure through playing the game, so they're trying to protect the rest of the student population. Anyway, regardless they're in a football stadium, the, the, the players are there, the coaches are there, the support staff, you know, they're wiping down all the, all the equipment, literally, you know, every quarter, if not more, they're wearing gloves and face mask shields. I could completely see that. And they're tested, obviously they're tested before. Um, you could see that happening. And that's kind of the compromise to try to attempt to save college football um but what if it's inconsistent throughout the country on students going back to college for fall well okay so i think i was playing this out in my brain so first i i I think it's a very slim chance that football season starts on time um i think the the more likely thing is that they do some kind of weird spring season and there will be weird ramifications of doing something like that but i think They'll, those ramifications will be outweighed by the ramifications of not having a season at all. Um, so if they do one, I think it'll be in the spring. Um, okay. early, early spring, late winter. Um, but, so you're going to run into this thing where the, the southern states and some of the midwestern states are already talking about opening back up in May um, in like a very real way. Like certain of these, of these states have already said we're going to open up again on May 1st as the president has asked us to. Um, so those states are going to be predisposed to want to get life back to normal. Now, barring another outbreak in those states, which may very well occur when they relax restrictions, but let's say even that doesn't happen. Let's say they do kind of get through this with just kind of a flat plateauing of cases and they don't have any existing growing issues. Will you have the SEC decide to play football? Um, where the Pac-12 as dictated by the governors of Washington, Oregon, California, and then perhaps Arizona, Utah, and Colorado, um, they say, no, we're not going to have football. Well, would the SEC go ahead and do that? I think in a certain sense, they would be predisposed to do it. But then I think at the end of the day, the potential legal challenge to them might be um, scary enough that they wouldn't. Because if you can show that the Pac-12 did X, and none of their players got sick, right? But then the SEC opens up their players to the potential to get sick, and then one of them does. Um, That's a scary scenario, because then they can point to other leagues that had better um, safeguards in place. So I don't know if their their legal people would recommend that course of action at the end of the day. Um, Now, maybe the meatheads went over, but I just don't know that it would... um, I don't know if it would play out that way. I think if you're going to see it, I think it would end up, despite anyone's predispositions, it would end up being a more unified thing. Ah, because okay, I, well, I think they would be. Yeah. I think they'd be scared of getting sued, basically. Right. So let's just, uh, you know, um, since we're fleshing out a lot of ideas we've thrown out, football in spring. Yeah, uh, is that played at the Rose Bowl? Doesn't the Rose when the Rose Bowl have other contractual commitments? You'd have to work out um, a modified schedule. I think you would end up having more weekday they play games, it? more weeknight games. Um, you would because ha- it doesn't matter because no fans are in the stands anyway. 
So you would end up with weeknight games. You'd end up with just kind of fitting it around the schedules of the stadiums. Um, I think you might only end up with a conference schedule. You might not end up with non-conference games because the challenges of that for planning purposes and logistics and all that kind of stuff, that that maybe becomes a little bit more complicated. Um, but ending then up with do a... They just, do they play it at Drake without fans? You could do it. I mean, why not? Um, you could do it at Drake. You could do. You could have some fun with it. I mean, you could play it like you could play it at a high school. Like you could do a variety of different things. You could get interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it's. Um, I think you could get it done. Like I think if 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 everyone is like cool with where things stand with the coronavirus by like February. Well, actually, it would have to be by. Like, say by November, everyone's like, okay, things are looking good. We're down to purely contact tracing. Like, we've knocked this thing fully down. There's nobody getting sick through community spread anymore. We're just we're just trying to track the cases, and we're waiting on a vaccine. We've got a treatment now. You know, all these different things. Um, if all of that gets settled by November, then I think they can plan to do it in, in February. But they're not going to be able to plan it really too far ahead of time because you just won't know how things are going to look. Um, hopefully we have a lot more information come September and then they can start even looking at like, okay, maybe we can start something in December. Um, but it's just, it's too far out. I think there's going to be every effort made to have a football season though, for the exact reason that if they don't, I mean, some of these athletic departments, not only will have to cut, cut sports, they might have to cut football because they can't afford to be that kind of athletic department. Some might have to actually say, we're no longer going to be FBS Division One. Um, we're going to have to move down a level because we can't afford to have scholarship allotments for all these different sports. Well, well, that's the interesting. I mean, bad timing ever for UCLA. They were running the black for year after year. But that's an then... artificially created problem. So UCLA, the the institution, is doing fine and could yeah. have paid off the athletic department, but chose not to. As I think John Wilner reported that one where they basically forced athletics to take a loan um, from main campus rather than just, you know, pay them off. Um, so that's a self-created problem. But the institutional commitment of UCLA, we've talked about the athletic department commitment of to, to, to UCLA getting increased in recent years and the donor commitment being increased. But at an institutional level, like Chancellor Block, um, that whole crew of academics – end of the day i mean are they going to be predisposed to bail out athletics to the tune of you know whatever 25 million dollars i don't know no idea right that is a that is a hell of a question how much did ucla raise in its in that big fundraising like push a billion for, dollars i don't know no four, no it was like four billion dollars yeah it's, it's some crazy amount um no, I mean, UCLA is a, a big money-making endeavor. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the budget that the chancellor is dealing with all the time is, is, I mean, athletics is small potatoes compared to that. But also, in that vein, also might seem kind of irrelevant to them. Um, and I think that's a bad calculation. I think that's a miscalculation. I think as many, many, many universities, including UCLA historically, have proven Athletics can kind of stir the drink um, in terms of getting undergraduate applications, in terms of getting um, financial windfalls for not just athletics, but donations for other things on campus because it gets the it gets alumni energized. Um, Texas A&M was a great example when they had those Johnny Manziel years. I think something like donations to the university as a whole went up like sevenfold. Um, right. And UCLA became, I mean, this is kind of a... What came first, chicken or egg? But John Wooden had a ton of success, and UCLA then became essentially a flagship university for the entire country. Hey, Those... USC. USC's academics, their whole prof profile went up as a result of Pete Carroll's run in football. Exactly. Directly I mean, there, there, there is a real, real correlation between it. So, I mean, and this is an argument we've made before just for general purposes, but now I think it becomes even more important for the university to make sure it's obviously the university is going to have its own challenges if this extends into the fall and keeps people from playing football, because that'll also probably mean that uh, tuition revenue is going to go down um, because people aren't going to come back to school or people aren't going to come to school because 
well, I'm not going to pay money for online school. Um, all those things. Um, there's, I'm sure there's going to be hiring freezes and staffing freezes and all those kinds of things that are going to hurt recruitment of professors and all that kind of stuff. Like all these things are going to be happening, but I think top of mind for them, or maybe not at, at the exact top of mind, but just like 1B, got to make sure we still have an athletic department at the end of this um, because yeah. I think it's a huge part of any any future uh, mission of the university is going to be um, – it's going to require some some athletics because um, so it's not I Harvard. I collected a few little disparate comments from listening to you. They're not all connected. First off, yes, it is self-imposed from the university because they could easily cover that $18 billion deficit. But we, what I was saying, it is still bad timing that this is all happening when UCLA incurred that oh, yeah. debt because of its football program, because it's been, when was the last time it had a winning season? Was that five years ago? Um, and, and the general malay around Chip Kelly's program of people going to the Rose Bowl, putting butts in seats in the last couple of years. Yes. So yeah, self-imposed, but <laughs> you can say it's self-imposed in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's that. Uh, talking about where to play in spring. Hey, there's that. There's that little stadium right down the 405. That thing where Taylor Swift was supposed to debut its opening. That SoFi Stadium thing. That might be kind of fun. Play be. a game in spring there. Because I mean, you know, it's just sitting there. As opposed to the Rose Bowl that might have other commitments. Drake Stadium might not be able to accommodate, you know, TV, actually. Um, it's so that for spring could, games. Yeah, but that was limited, limited, limited cameras. How many cameras they have for that? Two? Yeah. Maybe three? Much. Yeah. Uh, and when you're talking about universities giving, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, cheaper tuition because it's online shout out to nebraska did yeah. you see what nebraska did yeah they made tuition free wow that's you know well and i gotta tell you while ucla in spring quarter it is all online and they are not giving any kind of refund or discount out to so they're not they're taking away commencement <laughs> from the students which i think is part of how much you're paying to go to UCLA. And secondly, no discount for comparatively from in-person to online classes while Nebraska is going tuition free. That's kind of crazy that um, the public university's undergraduate tuition and fees is 13240 for in-state right now. And you know what? Uh, going back to the Centennial campaign, from 2014 to 2019, raised $5.49 billion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a lot. You know, it's funny. Uh, so many bros do just say, uh, it just goes to show you how, how, I mean, I know that money's all earmarked. A lot of it is our, our donations that are specifically earmarked for certain things. But five and a half billion dollars, and you would say that, as you mentioned, that athletics is not necessarily the highest priority at that university, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, one of, and I don't have the rankings here, but I think one of the, among state schools, was it the highest among uh, public schools, of I think it was fundraising or one of the few yeah. nationally. Um, so a lot of this interesting, interesting things. Uh, while we were talking about Chip Kelly's program really fast, another slight pivot. Well, not slight. You know, recruiting is kind of on hold here. Obviously, with kids not able to take visits. Um, 
without coaches being able to go out and see them uh, in in spring. So right now, the UCLA program is kind of frozen, and it's frozen with not a lot of great buzz and momentum coming off of two losing seasons. I mean, I don't think that's really outrageous to say. I don't think that's hypercritical, right? I think that's pretty fairly objective. When it comes to recruiting, it's the same. I've written that I haven't seen UCLA recruiting so I don't know what – give me a good word for this, Dave. Um, dead in the water? Yeah. Let's say dead moribund. in the water. Moribund is a great word. Uh, let's go with moribund. Um, ever in 20 years. And there's one recruitment that could potentially just even from a very small standpoint, but even from a bigger standpoint that we might not be able to put our finger on right now, and that's Miller Moss, the quarterback from – uh, Mission Hills Bishop Alamany that UCLA is involved with seriously. It's probably a UCLA USC battle, even though he hasn't visited LSU and Alabama, which could change the whole scenario. Can I make but, a breaking news point before you get into the depths of his recruitment? And this is important, and I really want to. I was like, only going to. Yes, go ahead. I want to nail this. Uh, Miller Moss has Ricky Townface. <laughs> okay. He looks like I Ricky know, Town. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't play like him though. Okay, like I'm just saying. I, I, yeah. He's got yeah. Ricky Town. I saw face. I saw both of them in high school at a camp and I, I got to admit I had not really I'm going to I'm just backing up a little about Ricky Town. I hadn't seen him. And I walked into an Elite 11 where everyone was there to evaluate him and I I knew what he looked like and I walked up and I was stunned that he was the number one ranked quarterback in the country. Just did not have a strong arm. I mean, the number one quarterback in the country generally should have a strong arm. Yeah. Just did not have a natural throwing motion. I was stunned. I stunned. Miller Moss has one of the purest throwing motions I've seen. It's just, it's but, just. But a what pure, does his face look like? And that's the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so where I was going beyond that so salient point about his face was that UCLA gets Miller Moss. You can see some momentum. First off, they might actually get the offensive lineman who's at his school. Also, they might, that might light a little bit of a spark with some offensive recruits. It might do with different defensive crews are saying, Hey, Miller Moss is going there. You know, this is, it might not, but Without Miller Moss going to UCLA, that is the seriously the proverb, proverbial cliff where UCLA recruiting could fall off. If it hasn't already, there's a second cliff. And I just cannot even envision where UCLA recruiting for 2021 would go without Miller Moss, without UCLA getting Miller Moss. So... I think it would be a lot of 4.0 GPA three-star guys. Oh, so like every other class under Chip Kelly? I think it would be essentially, yeah. Yeah, I think it would be essentially like Vanderbilt or Rice. I think yeah. that's where you would I think, think that's it would his be vision. Going. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, no. Miller yeah. Moss is, is a very important recruit. I, I mean, I'm trying to really envision – what UCLA recruiting is without him in, it's, it's, it's bleak. <laughs> yeah. So I think critical things to remember, Miller Moss, fun name to say, we like to say it. Don't say Moss, don't say Miller, just say Miller Moss. It's a lot of fun Miller to say. Moss. It sounds yeah. like a really disgusting, um, like beer brand from Miller, like the Moss, like Miller Moss instead of Miller Light. Like, what is that? Like something you get out of a swamp? It does conjure up thoughts of beer. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah. But like a skunky beer, right? Miller Moss. That's not great. Um, and then Moss is never used in beer, is it? No, I hope not. Um, <laughs> fermented Moss. Um, uh, Ricky Townface, but that's incidental. And then also very critical recruit for Chip Kelly. I think that's the fourth most important point. Um, very, very critical. 
So if we were handicapping then, Tracy, given how important he is to the Chip Kelly era and this recruiting class in particular, what do you think? Is he coming to UCLA? Gut feel right now. Really, you know, highly more important than that. Irish Moss is used in the brewing of beer. Day. So Miller Moss, so this is, this is, he's the Miller, he's the Moss in the Miller. He is the it's straw what, that stirs the drink. He is what, ma- it is what makes clear beer without the need for a filter. Well, there you go. Le- y- y'all learned something here today. This, this is your main takeaway. It should be. Yeah. It should be. Yeah. You, you see me going down rabbit holes and you're like, where's he going? What's he doing? What's that guy doing? What this was the, irre- what was the kind of the irrelevant question you asked me? Uh, do we oh, think where- he, do we think UCLA gets it? <laughs> gut feel, kinda, gut feel. Uh, gut feeling is no. Yeah, of course not. Why would they? <laughs> I was trying to just, you know, give it to them. This is based purely on gut feel. It's based on actually talking to our friends, Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman, and it and it's really not not based on great other inside information that we don't have available on bro or on the forum. Um, but I, I think I, I just, like Greg has said, it, it, historically at this point, he should have committed to UCLA. And I think if UCLA had seven wins last year, he probably would be committed right now. Yeah. I think he's looking for a reason not to go there. right now, And that might end up seriously him waiting, he goes on his trip to LSU, and he's blown away. Yeah. Well, and think about it. Remember Josh Rosen? Um, not like when it was understood he was going to UCLA, but a little bit before that when it was like, okay, UCLA is the pick. Um, he wasn't committing either because he wanted his Stanford offer. He wanted his Michigan offer, and he wanted to like really take a look at those things. That's totally true and valid from Biggins. I mean, this is not... A good situation and then i mean just anecdotally um he's a he's a good local recruit so he's not he's not playing for chip kelly (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) you know what though it's it's funny though i i know this to be true what uh, what we what we feel as reporters of the program and i think generally we can lump in all the guys on the forum. It's a different experience and exposure that you will get from a program as a recruit and, and a family. They, they could very well have a completely different view of UCLA than we do. But here's the Um, thing. The reason people have their view of the reason fans on the forum, the reason I, I'm not going to speak for you. The reason we have the view we do is because recruits have the view they do. Um, like it's, it's one is dictated by the other. And I don't think it's, it's, it's very much the decisions that recruits are making is certainly dictating a lot of how people are feeling about this program right now. Um, oh, I don't, that might be true. But I, I, I think no matter if there were a bunch of recruits out there saying UCLA was great and there was a lot of buzz, I'd be going where are they getting that from? <laughs> well, the, but the thing is, they, they've been saying that kind of at different points. But the reality is, when it comes to sign, they're like, nah, nah, sorry. <laughs> or even commit. No, <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll be going over here now. Um, like, UCLA is losing commits to, like, I mean, they were losing guys to, like, Colorado and Utah. I mean, when is that ever happening? Um, no, this is, obviously, this is, this is I think, a, a very critical recruit. Obviously, there's a chance here. Obviously, UCLA is at or near the lead for him. But I agree with Biggins. If he hasn't done it already, I'm a little bit wondering what's going on. Um, and just looking at the last three years of this, it's it's hard for me to see it. Like it's hard for me to see somebody signing on with this. I mean, it was it was when when Josh Rosen was pussyfooting around, it was easy to say, well, he's going to end up at UCLA because UCLA was rolling at that point under Mora. Like, this is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. This one, he'd be making a real leap. This would be more like Brett Hundley leaping on with uh, Rick Neuheisel. Um, 
and uh, it would actually be love, even, this, it would be even more extreme than that because Neuheisel at least had a couple of seven and six years in there. Um, this is different. This would be weird. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this too. I don't I don't think Miller Moss ends up signing with UCLA unless there is a football season played and it's a, uh, ends up being a successful one for UCLA. Yeah, I don't think he signs with UCLA. I think. If there's no season played, which we came to the conclusion that is unlikely, but let's say there is no season. I just, even if he verbally commits, I can't see that holding on. I just think there'll be too much, there'll be too much coming at him from other programs. Then if there is a season and UCLA has an unsuccessful one, I don't think there's any way he signs with UCLA. So I think a season needs to be played, and I think it has to be a successful one for UCLA for them to get Miller Moss, regardless if he verbally commits right now. So there you go. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. You got anything else? Okay. No, I think I worked that out. I feel good about myself. Yeah, I think you should. I think I do. I think we all should. Um, Okay. Well, this has been fun. I uh, hope everyone is staying safe out there in quarantine land. And uh, hopefully we get uh, some seasons at the end of this thing. All right. Well, for Tracy I'm... Pearson. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go. go, go. No, no, no. Talk, no, talk. I just think we, sh- we should all be a little, you know, excited potentially about a spring football season. It sounds fun. That'll be Don't weird. That sounds fun. Yeah. No, yeah. that sounds interesting as hell. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, and whatever. Yeah. It'll be great. We'll be, we'll be able to watch yeah. football and basketball constantly. I'll lose my entire mind. Because, you know, typically it's only a month of overlapping football and basketball recaps. This will be an entire season of it. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be great. Excited <laughs> for it. Woohoo! Okay. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, UCLA side on the 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. Go Bruins! <laughs>